Welcome to the Fintech Law Matters Podcast, delving into the latest developments in fintech, finance, and law. Sit back and benefit from timely, in-depth analysis of the latest events in crypto regulation, fintech, and the law. Brought to you by a longtime securities lawyer and industry veteran, R. Tamara De Silva is a securities and derivatives lawyer who has worked in the crypto regulatory space, representing founders in litigation and navigation of the global regulatory landscape. Welcome to the Fintech Law Matters podcast. I'm your host, R. Tamara De Silva. Our topic today is how do we think about regulating the cryptocurrency space, specifically centralized cryptocurrency exchanges after 2022. And 2022 was a bad year for crypto. Perhaps it's cyclical, but you had the fall and failure of many crypto concerns, such as Voyager, the two algorithmic stablecoins, Terra and Luna, BlockFi, Genesis, Three Arrows, and the industry went from a market cap of over $2 trillion to $800 billion. And then, of course, you had the spectacular fall of FTX. The founder of FTX was Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, was also indicted. Two other principals of FTX and Alameda Research, the FTX affiliate, Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang, pled guilty. FTX went from a valuation of $32 billion to bankruptcy in a matter of weeks. It seemed like days. And the fall of FTX was nothing if not spectacular, so much so that it has caught the attention of not only the financial world, but also regulators and lawmakers. And it has affected and is affecting their perception of crypto, very much like cynics or critics of crypto and those that probably never even understood the industry have feel themselves vindicated in their skepticism of all things crypto. The SEC and the CFTC have announced and signaled that they will be taking a more hawkish tone to regulating the crypto space. And the perception and attention of the lawmakers and regulators does matter. Just last week, the SEC shuttered Kraken's staking program for all U.S. persons. We don't know, despite all of this and despite how much SBF himself has been in the news and FTX has been in the news, we still don't know really what happened. No one knows. It's being unraveled and it will take probably months to unravel. What we do know is we we have a, a constant sort of stream of conscience from Sam Bankman-Fried in his Substack blog, his Twitter posts, after uh, pleading not guilty, Sam Bankman-Fried has continued to talk. Now, he has been accused of fraud and the misuse of customer funds. And in order to prove fraud, the government has to prove knowledge and intent to defraud and to commit fraud. There, there has to be an intent and a commission, a, a voluntary commission of fraud. And it's interesting when you hear Sam Bankman-Fried's conversations and, and in, whether they are in testimony to Congress or in his blog or Twitter posts, there's a consistent theme. He, the consistent theme is, well, he probably should have paid attention. He was bad at his job. He really didn't know what was going on at Alameda Research, which is 
staggering because FTX was set up without any internal controls or divisions between separating the trading function of FTX, Alameda Research, and the brokerage and custodial function of FTX. There doesn't seem to be very much separation. There doesn't seem as if anyone thought of operationally instituting separation between all these functions of FTX. So kind of like in the law, the empty head, clean heart defense, perhaps there's some method or sincerity to Sam Bankman-Fried's statements. And this may come as preposterous to people, especially people that have been, um, have, have been defrauded. But it's possible taking all of Sam Bankman-Fried's statements as true for the time being, that there could be a combination of, there is evidence of fraud. For, for example, when you think of the special pipeline from Alameda to FTX for orders. Now, what was Sam Bankman-Fried's knowledge of that? And did he direct that? Or was it the people that are now, that have now pled guilty? Did they do it? We don't know. And really no one knows. This will be unraveled and it will take time. And it's important probably to withhold final judgment until we know. But when you had the testimony of the new CEO of FTX, John Ray, before Congress, and in the very beginning, go to Congress and say that he had never seen such a lack of organization and institutional incompetence and a lack of proper controls and a governance that seemed to be in over its head. That's not inconsistent with pretty much most of what Sam Bankman-Fried has been saying, which is an interesting thing. So we'll find out. What is very interesting is Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX spent tens of millions of dollars on law firms and accountants, but not just any law firms. These were the most prestigious law firms in the world. And typically, you would think that law firms that advise registered entities and individuals in the financial markets or even entities that transact business in the regulated financial markets or have any tangential intersection with them, typically should, as a matter of fact, educate their clients on operational risk and compliance risk. Somehow, none of that happened with FTX. It, it doesn't seem to have happened because when you think about the compliance safeguards and the operational walls in FTX, it's tough to come up with the example of their existence. So did the law firm's advise the governance and the the managing teams at FTX at FT and FTX in in the inner limited and FTX US um, they probably seem to have done a better job at FTX US which was fully solvent and they certainly did a better job at Ledger X which is the FTX affiliate that was registered with with the CFTC that was solvent but Somewhere, the main entity, there doesn't seem to have been any check on conflicts of interest or um, operational safeguards that were attended to or addressed by any of the the experts 
and and uh, people that perhaps arguably Sam Bankman Freed and uh, the principles of, of FTX could have relied on. Speaking of that, there are these two accounting firms, Armenino and Prager Matus, that FTX hired. And that's another odd thing about FTX is they looked at the financial statements of FTX and audited them, but but they weren't real audits. And no one would have known that because they were called audits. But unlike a typical audit, they did what they, they did what's called uh, a proof of reserves audit. So they look to see how much, in theory, customer funds were, the amount of customer funds that were held at a certain time. But they didn't look at anything else, the the the, the company holistically or the liabilities of the company, and they didn't even realize or didn't they they would have realized. They didn't look at the fact that these were related entities and they didn't look at the internal controls. These are all things that accounting firms should look at under Sarbanes-Oxley. But the two accounting firms that did the audits, so-called audits, they didn't look at that, which is odd. And you cannot really blame anyone, especially retail customers or anyone for for not knowing that the audits done by these two firms weren't actually audits because they were called audits. When someone represents that they've audited financial statements, you assume that they've actually done, they've looked under the hood, but that wasn't the case. So here we are at this present time, we're at a, we're at a crossroads, we're at an important juncture for crypto because of 2022 and especially because of FTX and the forensic accounting of FTX and the accounting of the events will ultimately reveal what truly happened and uh, whether in fact SBF uh, misused customer funds. It, 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 there's evidence suggestive of that. There were huge donations made to politicians and buying, naming football arenas, where did all this money come from? And we hope that that wasn't billions of dollars being used of customer funds, but it's possible. And uh, so th- there is, we're at a crossroads because, because regulation is coming. And what should that look like? And here is an important point, and one that I, I will harp on, and I've, I've written about, that what may arguably be worse than regulation by enforcement or no regulation is regulation made in haste. Regulation that does not understand the nuances of the industry, the technology, or the decentralized nature of blockchain. Regulation that will drive business elsewhere, will harm the industry and and truly fetter it to the point of not helping because customers will just go to completely unregulated exchanges where they're not protected and will have contagion perhaps happen again. So that's not a good solution. What we should all want is regulation that is very thoughtful and cautious and and takes time because this is a complex industry and we should want our lawmakers to truly understand it and understand it in a nuanced fashion, not rush in to enact a regulatory regime. Now, when we look at 
Past financial crises and failures have led to the enactment of regulatory regimes. For example, the Great Depression, the the, the collapse of uh, Samuel Insel's uh, 800-company electrical utility empire and uh, the ramifications of that for millions of Americans led in part to the creation of the Securities and Exchange Act and the creation of the Securities and Exchange Commission to regulate our stock markets. Now, that that was a salutary effect of market failure, but arguably uh, a less salutary effect was the creation of Sarbanes-Oxley itself, because that was in 2002 just eight months after the fall of Enron. And I recall there was a lot of political grandstanding at that time and, and a, a rush to, quote, do something. And that probably is reflected in Sarbanes-Oxley, which has been criticized as a somewhat unwieldy and an elegant, vast piece of legislation. We'd hope that that, one would hope that that doesn't happen to crypto. So what happens now? What should we do now? Well, we should take our time and really think about how best to regulate this industry and do it in a non-concussive way that protects U.S. persons, but doesn't also harm the industry or drive it elsewhere. Um, because digital assets really probably aren't going away um, and people aren't going to stop investing in them. And, and there might be a generational aspect to the appeal of digital assets. I, I don't know. But one of the things that I, I think we could do is we could ask the industry participants themselves right now, even before the enactment of a regulatory regime, to enact best practices. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I've made a list, actually, but there are several things that uh, industry participants, specifically centralized cryptocurrency exchanges could do. The first would be when you have a cryptocurrency exchange that has proprietary trading, the firm's proprietary trading should be ring-fenced from customer accounts. This is standard in regulated U.S. exchanges, and it's been long established and it works very well. Uh, I can think of an exception, in which is the case of MF Global in the futures market, that's when John Corzine, who took over the, a venerated, long-established firm, MF Global, and caused it to be bankrupt by going into segregated customer accounts because of a trading matter. But that's kind of a one-off event, and that was a spectacular bankruptcy and, uh, and very unfortunate because the futures markets function extremely well and are very, very good at the protection and segregation of customer funds and the avoidance of any commingling of customer funds with firm funds. Another thing that industry participants could do right now in terms of best practices would be to insist that any audit of proof of reserves is done holistically. But looking at proof of reserves without looking at the liabilities of the company it just doesn't make sense because you're not getting the whole picture. It's it's almost close to a pointless exercise. And there are other issues with proof of reserves. But in general terms, centralized crypto exchanges would be well advised to, in all ways, mimic their regulated counterparts, the exchanges in the United States that are regulated by the CFTC and the SEC, 
when it comes to their custodial function. So crypto exchanges, centralized crypto exchanges that have customer funds should mimic the segregation of customer funds from firm funds and avoid any commingling of customer funds with firm funds. So along those lines, perhaps there should be a prohibition against borrowing and lending. Maybe crypto exchanges uh, should not allow borrowing and lending between themselves and customer accounts, which brings me to another point, which is conflicts of interest. The regulated futures exchanges whether regulated by the SEC or the CFTC, have do a very good job also of managing and monitoring conflicts of interest. This is something that was not done at FTX and, and really isn't done, as far as I can tell, very well in centralized crypto exchanges. And that's unfortunate because if we did pay attention to conflicts of interest, a lot of other issues would solve themselves. So how do we do that? One of the ways to do that would be to make sure that customers of centralized exchanges truly understand what exchanges will do with their funds, with their assets and their crypto. That has to be spelled out and spelled out in, in with such specificity. So it's clear that if there is recourse, the fact that their deposits aren't insured, the fact that the exchanges may be opaque, so opaque that they may not know it, just because they're able to do a proof of reserves ping on, okay, my funds are there. They might not know what the exchange's total liabilities would be. This happened recently with um, Binance and BZ, who announced that he was, they had proof of reserves, but well, so what? You don't know what the liabilities of Binance are, but I digress a little bit. The one way to ensure that customer funds are separated and segregated and protected is to mimic the silos of traditional regulated exchanges. So uh, what I mean by that is traditional exchanges have separate silos for trading, separate silos for clearing, separate silos for clearing, custody, and margin. Each of these silos, there's a clearing firm, there are brokerage firms, there are trading firms, and in the regulated world, there are entities that uh, trade that don't touch customer money. So entities like commodity trading advisors, these are important safeguards so that the, the firms that manage money have higher reporting functions and they have to be very transparent, and they are, and, and they're audited. They're properly audited uh, at least every year. So these are just a few of the best practices that the industry right now could adopt on its own before any regime change or is, is enacted uh, by any of the regulators. And it would go a long way to restoring trust in the industry and avoiding contagion in the event that there is another problem at an exchange. And I suppose the final point is make no regulation in haste. That is the most important thing of all. And this concludes today's podcast. Thank you for joining me. And I hope you stay tuned for future podcasts on FTX and the crypto space and the intersection of the law, finance, and fintech. Thank you. Thank you.